Very often in life, it is important to go back to the basics. Life can be complicated at times. Life can be complex. Life can be confusing. When that happens, it's easy to become disoriented, to sort of lose your way. The Christian life is the same way. The longer we have known the Lord, and the more involved we are in various aspects of the Christian life, the easier it is for us to forget about what is most important. As someone has well said, the main thing is to make sure that the main thing stays the main thing. The Apostle Peter certainly understood that, and near the end of his life, he wrote a letter to emphasize that very point. Let's turn together, if you're not already there, to 1 Peter chapter 2, over near the end of the New Testament. I heard a message on this passage years ago that I have never forgotten, and many of these thoughts I'm going to share today are from that message out of 1 Peter chapter 2. Please follow along as I read verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The Apostle Peter was in the last phase of his life when he wrote this letter and his second epistle. He had been a follower of the Lord Jesus ever since Jesus had called him to follow as a young man. He had the immense privilege of walking and talking with Jesus personally for approximately three years. He was, he was with Jesus in the upper room on the final night of our Lord's life. He heard all that Jesus had to say in the upper room discourse that is recorded in John chapters 13 through 16. There is no doubt that those final words of Jesus had a profound impact on Peter's life. One of the things Jesus emphasized during that final discourse was the importance of embracing and loving and holding on to the Word. For example, in John 15, 3, Jesus said to his disciples, You are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken unto you. In verse 7 of that chapter, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Those were just a couple of the statements by Jesus emphasizing the importance of the Word. As Peter sat in the upper room on that final night, the words of Jesus were driven into his heart. And although he would fail on that night, he would come back stronger than ever as he allowed the words of Jesus to transform his life. When he sat down to write this first letter, he also emphasized the importance of the Word of God in the life of a child of God. That's what we see here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Peter's exhortation in this passage is very basic. 
the heart and soul of these three verses is that phrase right in the middle, desire the pure milk of the word. Everything, he, everything else he says in these verses sort of supplements or complements that one phrase, desire the pure milk of the word. Peter takes his readers back to the foundation and back to the basics, the priority of the word of God. This is the starting point of everything. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says that people will be condemned Here's the exact quote. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved. In John 8, 47, Jesus said, He who is of God hears God's words. In those two passages, salvation is described as a love of the truth and hearing God's words. Isn't that interesting? Salvation is described as love of the truth and hearing God's words. So love for the Word of God is the starting point. It's how we begin the Christian life. But unfortunately, we have a tendency to lose that love for the Word. We have a tendency to let it be crowded out by a love for other things. It can be crowded out by, by love for a guy or a gal. It can be crowded out by love for money. It can be crowded out by love for sports. It can be crowded out by love for fashion. It can be crowded out by love for things, love for possessions. And that is by no means an exhaustive list. Peter doesn't want that to happen to us because the Lord doesn't want that to happen to us. Just as genuine salvation is described as hearing God's words, so the true Christian life can be described in the same way. The Christian life is all about hearing and obeying the Word of God. It has been said that genuine godliness is marked by a love for and delight in God's Word. Let me say that again. Genuine godliness is marked by a love for and delight in God's Word. I believe that wholeheartedly. Look with me at some of the statements along these lines found in the Psalms. Go back to Psalm 1, and we could look at just myriads of passages in Scripture on this theme, but we'll just restrict ourselves to a few of the statements found in the Psalms. Psalm 1 is where we'll begin. And notice how the very first psalm opens. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And of course, in the Hebrew Old Testament, that's just a way of saying his delight is in Scripture. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The psalm book, the Hebrew song book, opens with a statement extolling love for and delighting in the word of God. 
And this theme is found throughout the Psalms. Turn over to Psalm 40 for another example. Psalm 40, verse 8. The psalmist exclaims, the psalmist cries out in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Again, law not merely restricting it to the Mosaic law, but just a way to refer to your truth, your word, your scripture is in my heart. And this is a theme that weaves its way through all the Psalms. In fact, it is in the longest Psalm, Psalm 119. Let me show you several in Psalm 119. Turn over there to that great Psalm. I think it's significant that the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, is all about delighting in, desiring the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 16. We'll just look at a few random verses here. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Down to verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Verse 48, my hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 72, verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Verse 92, unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Then down in verse 111, your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Verse 127, therefore I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Verse 159, down to verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. Verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. Verse, one, verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Is that the way you feel? Honestly, does that describe your heartbeat? My fear is that for some Christians, it does not. They don't read the word regularly. They don't make it a priority to hear the word. But that is the question behind the text in 1 Peter 2 about craving, longing for spiritual milk. 
So let's go back to that text to see what it says. 1 Peter chapter 2, back over near the end of the New Testament. Before we jump right into the text, let me give the background and the setting so that we can appreciate these words. Back in chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, Peter describes our priceless salvation. He says in verse 2 of chapter 1 that you are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter reminds us that if we are Christians, if we have salvation, that means we are the elect of God. What a priceless privilege. And then in verse 3, he begins to expand. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Those are rich verses describing many of the facets of our salvation. We have an inheritance. We go through trials. But even though we've not seen Jesus, we love him with joy and expressible. So many tremendous statements in those verses about our salvation. And based on those truths, Peter gives three responses in the form of three exhortations. The first response is given in chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. In those verses, Peter tells us what our response ought to be toward God, and that can be summed up in two simple words, and that is the exhortation, be holy. Be holy. That's the first response. The second response given is our response toward others. That's chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and that exhortation can be summed up in one word, and that is the word love. So our response to God is holiness, our response to others is love, and then our response to ourselves, if you will, is chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and the exhortation there is summed up in three words, desire the word. Desire the word. The word desire in the original language is an intensified verb that means to crave. This is the same word used in the Septuagint translation of Psalm 42.1, which says, As the deer pants, as the deer longs for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. I've known that verse for years, but it wasn't until one occasion I was out in the woods 
and I watched a deer run a long way on a, on a really hot day, and he was running toward a creek, to, toward a source of water, and literally he was just, it was as if he was sweating out of his mouth. He was longing so desperately to get to that water. And the verse took on a whole new dimension. As the deer pants, as the deer longs for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. In the Septuagint, that's the same word Peter uses in 1 Peter 2, 2. This Greek word is used nine times in the New Testament. In Romans 1.11 and Philippians 1.8, Paul uses the word to describe a craving for, a, for an effective ministry. In 2 Corinthians 5.2, he uses it to describe the longing in the heart of the believer for heaven. In 2 Corinthians 9.14 and Philippians 2.26, he uses it to describe the intense longings of love. In 1 Thessalonians 3.6 and 2 Timothy 1.4, he uses it to describe the desire for intimate fellowship with other believers who are specially loved and treasured. So you get an idea of the intensity of this word that Peter uses. It describes an insatiable passion, a longing for something. That's what Peter says we ought to have toward the Word of God. Not just a casual interest, but this kind of passionate, insatiable craving. Now we know what it's like to desire and long for something like this. If you've lived life at all, you know. You know what it's like to have this kind of longing for a loved one a spouse, a child, a parent who is not with us because of distance or death. We know what it's like to have this kind of desire for the salvation or restoration of a loved one. Sometimes the desire can be so strong that the pain of the burden is almost unbearable. That's the kind of desire Peter says we are to have for the Word of God. Notice how Peter describes the Word here in verse 2. First, he calls it pure. The Word means uncontaminated. Then he calls it milk. That means it's the source of life. It's the source of sustenance. So he calls it pure milk. And then several English translations add the phrase, of the Word. This is a fascinating study in the original language. Now, stay with me here because we're going to get a little bit technical only because this is a technical term that Peter is using. The phrase, of the Word, in the original language is really only one word. It's the Greek word logikon. Technically, it does not translate, of the Word even though many of our English translations say the pure milk of the Word, technically it doesn't translate of the Word. The only other time it is used in all the New Testament is in Romans 12.1. So go back there with me for just a moment as we do a little comparison. Romans 12, verse 1. This is a verse that many of you know. Many of you probably have memorized. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some versions translate this, this is your reasonable service, but others translate it, this is your spiritual service of worship. And by the way, that is the Greek word that Peter uses. Translated reasonable service or spiritual service of worship. So this word can be translated reasonable, and it can be translated spiritual. And in 1 Peter 2, it's translated of the word. Wow, that's quite a bit of different translations. Why the difference? The term literally means belonging to speech or belonging to reason. It has the idea of something that is reasonable or rational, which is why the New King James Version translates Romans 12.1 as your reasonable service. This is your reasonable, your logical service. However, most English, English translations render the word here in Romans 12, spiritual. This is your spiritual service, which is also a good translation because here in Romans 12, Paul is contrasting a literal dead sacrifice with a living spiritual sacrifice. So my point is that this Greek word can be translated spiritual or reasonable or belonging to speech which is where we get the phrase of the word in our text in 1 Peter 2. That's why there is so much diversity in our English translations. This Greek word can be translated a variety of different ways. Now, go back to 1 Peter 2, and I'll see if I can clear up what I've muddied with all of that. So back to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm saying all of that because the ESV... And the NIV have the phrase in 1 Peter 2, 2, pure spiritual milk. And those are good, valid translations. The NASB and the New King James Version have the phrase pure milk of the word. And those are also good, valid translations. In verses 23 through 25 of chapter 1, and remember when Peter wrote his letter, there were no chapter divisions here. When you write a letter, you don't put chapter divisions in your letters either. If you write an email or a note, Peter didn't have chapter divisions. So uh, you need to sort of ignore those sometimes. And here's a good place where it's, it's helpful to ignore the chapter divisions because in verses 23 through 25 of chapter 1, the subject has been the Word of God. Peter says in verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, he says, desire the pure milk of the word. So it's valid to translate the Greek word in chapter 2, verse 2, as of the word. That's been Peter's theme, his, his topic leading up to his exhortation. The rabbis used to refer to God's word as milk. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. Psalm 19 says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And here in 1 Peter 2, 2, the word of God is called 
the pure spiritual milk of the Word. And the whole point is this. We are to desire, crave, long for this pure spiritual milk of the Word just like a baby craves milk. Now, if you've ever had a baby, then you know how a baby desires milk. Everything else is irrelevant. If your baby wants milk, you can't say, but don't you like the curtains I have up in the nursery? That doesn't matter. Don't you like the the color theme that I have? That doesn't matter. If if a baby wants milk, it's one-dimensional. So Peter says, just as a baby craves milk, we should crave the milk of the Word. So Peter says our response toward our glorious salvation is to be holy toward God, love the brethren, and desire the Word. And beloved, in a sense, that sums up the Christian life. I'm not saying there aren't other dimensions, but it really says a lot. Holiness toward God, love for the brethren, and hunger for the Word. So let's stop to evaluate. Do you and I hunger for the Word like this? Honestly. Let's just be honest. Do we long for, hunger, crave for the Word like this? If not, then there are undoubtedly some reasons why not. Let me suggest one reason. One reason is because some Christians stuff themselves with so much junk food And I'm not talking about what they eat. I'm talking about mental junk food. They watch so much TV, listen to so much music, read so many newspapers, so many magazines, so many books, that they don't have an appetite for the Bible. They're just filled with junk food. It doesn't matter if the stuff is secular or quasi-Christian. The result is still the same. So how can we get this kind of desire for the Word? This is the exhortation to us. How can we get it? Well, let me give you one real practical way to begin. Get your own Bible. Get your own Bible. You say, Brian, that is so basic. I know it is, but I'm amazed at how many people don't have their own Bible that they bring to church with them and they use every time they go to a Bible study or, or whatever, a Bible they can underline in and make notes in, or if it's an electronic version, one that they can get very familiar with and they can get to know it well. Some people don't even bring a Bible to church, and some people bring a different one every time they come to church. Get your own Bible that you can get familiar with and you can get to know well. That's a basic starting point, but there's much more we can do. And Peter tells us what that is. There are five principles in this text to cause us to desire the pure milk of the Word. Let's go through these five principles. Principle number one, remember the source of life. Peter says in verse one, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word. The first word in verse 1 is the word therefore, the word so, depending on your translation, because it's building on what Peter just said in the previous verses. Peter just finished saying in verse 23 that the word of God caused us to be born again. Therefore, he says, 
Therefore, if it's that powerful, we ought to long for this powerful word. If it had the power to transform your life at the beginning, you ought to continue tapping into its power. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Philippians 2.16 calls the word, uh, the word of God the word of life, which reminds us that the word is the source of life. In Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47, Moses said to the people, set your heart on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command to your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it's not a trifle thing for you, because it's your life. It is your life. Beloved, the Word of God is not a trifle thing. It's not an insignificant thing. It is a matter of life and death. If you treat the Scripture as a trifle thing, you forfeit true life. So, principle number one, remember the source of life. Principle number two, rid your heart of sin. Verse 1 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Part of longing for the Word involves laying aside sin. The reason some Christians don't long for the Word, frankly, is because they have so much, too much animosity in their heart toward people. Interestingly, all five of the sins that Peter lists here in verse 1 are relationship-destroying kinds of sins. And Peter says, get rid of them. They'll just consume you. They'll eat you up. If you're unwilling to make changes in the wrong ways you treat other people, listen, if you are unwilling to make changes in the wrong ways you relate to other people, you are thwarting your hunger for the Word of God. In the early church, whenever someone was baptized, it was customary to take the clothes they were wearing and actually throw them away. And after the baptism, they would be given new robes, new clothing to symbolize this, this idea of getting rid of sin. That's probably the picture that is behind what Peter is saying here. He is basically saying, listen, if you didn't get rid of these things at conversion, if you didn't get rid of these things when you became a Christian, get rid of them now. Get them out of your life. As the old saying goes, the Bible will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from the Bible. If sin is in your life, you're not going to desire the Word. You just won't. So Peter says, get rid of your sin. If you don't do that and you try to sort of force yourself to get in the Word, then any supposed desire you have for the Word is really idolatry because you're just studying the Bible, trying to find something to justify your sin or excuse your sin or rationalize around your sin. And sadly, there are any number of people who would fall into that category. So Peter says, the Holy Spirit says, rid your heart of sin. Principle number three realize your need. He says in verse 2, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The word babes here in this verse means the smallest child. On the front of that word, Peter adds the term, the word newborn. So Peter is saying this, like a born just now baby. Desire the milk of the Word. 
The point is this. Just as a newborn baby needs pure milk, so we need the pure milk of the Word of God. Peter is saying, realize your need. A baby needs milk. It won't do any good to set a bag of potato chips in front of a newborn baby because the baby needs milk. It doesn't do any good to set a, something healthy, a, a carrot stick, in front of a newborn baby or, or a, a baked potato or whatever. No, we, we need to give babies milk because that's their need, and we need the pure milk of the Word. Now, don't misunderstand Peter's analogy because I heard a lot of Christians going down different paths with this. He's not talking about new Christians here. Some people say, well, he's talking about just like a new baby, new Christians should long for the Word. Yes, new Christians should long for the Word, but that's not his point. All Christians should long for the Word. He's just using the illustration of babies. So he's not talking about new Christians only, and he's not talking about meat as opposed to milk. You know, Paul uses that sort of a distinction talks there, and the writer of Hebrews talks about I had to give you milk and not meat, etc. That's not don't mix that in here. That's not Peter's point. He's simply making a comparison. Just as babies desire milk, so we should desire the word. Just as babies need milk, we need the word. In fact, three times the Bible says, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We should never, ever think we don't need the Word. Never. We should never, ever think we've had enough of the Word. We have a desperate need, beloved, and it is the Word of God. Oh, there are so many weak Christians and weak churches in our world. And I don't say that as a judgmental statement. I say it because it's a fact. Because the Word has been ignored, the Word has been set aside, the Word has been disregarded, and there can be no true spiritual strength apart from the Word. We should desire the Word because it's our source of nourishment. So Peter says, realize your need. That's principle number three. Principle number four He says, recognize the priority of growth. Recognize the priority of growth. He says in verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. It's a tragedy to see a human being whose body hasn't grown properly for one reason or another. We've all seen that. It's heartbreaking. It's heartrending. But it's a greater tragedy to see a spiritual life like that. A spiritual life, a person who's alive spiritually because he or she has come to faith in Christ, but he or she doesn't grow properly. The Word causes us to grow. This verse literally reads like this. Desire the pure spiritual milk of the Word that it may grow you. The Word causes us to grow. And this isn't optional, by the way. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow! Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Beloved, if we ever get satisfied with where we are at spiritually, then we'll never desire the Word like this. Because we'll just coast. We think we're doing fine, you know, taking the Word every now and then a little bit. 
if we think we, if we, if we really get to the point where we're just satisfied with where we're at spiritually, we'll never crave the word like this. Spiritual growth rises out of not being satisfied with where we are at spiritually. Lord, deliver us from ever being satisfied with where we are at spiritually. Oh, blessed discontent that propels us to spiritual growth. That comes right out of Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, Paul said, I have not attained. I haven't arrived. I'm not where I want to be. By God's grace, I've made progress, but I've got a long way to go. We are really in trouble if we're content with where we are at spiritually, if we're content with our spiritual progress. That's a serious problem to have. So Peter says, recognize the priority of growth. And then principle number five, refocus your perspective. He says in verse three, if indeed, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is a loose paraphrase of Psalm 34, 8, which says, O taste and see that Yahweh is good. That statement in Psalm 34 tells us to taste and see that Yahweh is good. Here, Peter applies the verse to the Lord Jesus. We tasted the goodness of the Lord at salvation, when we were forgiven, when we were given new life. But we tend to get sidetracked into loving other things in this world. We forget how sweet the graciousness of the Lord is, so we don't crave the Word. Beloved, if we're going to desire the Word, we're going to have to refocus. Refocus our perspective. Refocus on eternity. We're going to have to refocus on the Lord Jesus Himself so we don't leave our first love, as stated in Revelation 2. So this is the exhortation. It's pretty basic, pretty simple as far as understanding. Maybe not simple to apply, but very simple. Desire the Word. Crave the Word. Long for the Word. It's a sad fact, but the reality is that there are many Christians in our world who are suffering from spiritual anorexia nervosa. I'm sure virtually everyone in this room has heard of anorexia nervosa and all of the symptoms connected to it. Well, I'm talking about it on a spiritual dimension, a spiritual realm. Let me, there, there are four symptoms supposedly that people have who suffer from anorexia nervosa. Let me mention those and then give you the spiritual parallel since this is what Peter is talking about here. Symptom number one, long periods without eating followed by binges they reject. That's one of the symptoms of people who are exhibiting anorexia nervosa. Do you see the parallel spiritually? Christians go for long periods of time without taking in the Word, but when they are given the Word, they reject it. They don't receive it. They don't accept it. They don't love it. They don't apply it. Symptom number two of anorexia nervosa, excessive exercise to prove you are competent. Do you see the parallel? Some Christians try to make up for their lack of 
love for the Word by substituting activity. Go, 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 do, 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 even church activity. Symptom number three, depression and an inability to deal with problems. Do you see the parallel spiritually? Many Christians just don't deal with sin in their lives. They're always down. They, they seem to never rise above it, never gain victory. And symptom number four of anorexia nervosa, but we're making the spiritual parallel, social isolation. This is a fear of being with people and being discovered. Do you see the parallel? Some Christians don't want to be close to other Christians, they, so they, they remain at a safe distance. That's safe for them. They refuse to get involved with other believers because they're afraid they'll be discovered. They won't go to a home Bible study or a Sunday school class or smaller, smaller gatherings where you interact with, with other believers and there's more transparency and there's more accountability. No, no, they, they won't go there. They won't do that. Do you suffer from any of those things? Or do you crave the Word of God? Beloved, this, this is foundational for our Christian lives. And for that reason, this may be one of the most important messages we will ever consider. Take it seriously. Desire the Word. Crave the Word. Long for the Word. And if you don't, and be honest about it and do what you need to do to get to that point in your life. Because this is a proper response to our salvation. Holiness toward God, love for the brethren, and desiring the Word. Let's bow together as we pray. As you bow your head in closing this morning, I ask you, I encourage you, to think back through the various principles and precepts that we considered this morning based on this very straightforward exhortation, desire the Word. Desire the pure milk of the Word. And be honest in your heart before God. He knows already. Do you really desire the Word? Do you crave the Word? Or is it just a casual interest every now and then? Oh, that's a pretty good sermon. Or just a casual interest? Or is it a passionate longing to desire the Word? If the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart, showing you some reason why you don't desire the Word, then make sure to address that. Deal with it, whatever it is. If it's sin that you need to get rid of, the way you treat other people, relate to other people, if it's, if it's whatever it is, then make sure you address that so that you can obey God when he says, desire the word, so that you'll crave for and respond to the word. And if you're here today without a relationship with Christ, several of these verses we read today talk about how the Word of God is powerful to transform your life, to give you new birth, to give you a birth from above 
So respond to the Word of God by turning to Jesus Christ right now in repentance, in faith, and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for the priceless treasure of your Word. Indeed, it has the power to give us new life, to cause us to be born again, and it also has the power to transform us from there as new creations in Christ who grow who make progress spiritually so that there is a decreasing pattern of sin in our lives and an increasing pattern of godliness and holiness. But we have to acknowledge that it's so easy for us in this world with so many options, so many things to do, it is very easy for us to let our craving for the Word slip, to let it slide. So thank you for the way you've spoken to our hearts this morning and however your spirit has spoken to us. May we respond so that we're not merely hearers of the word, as James says, but doers of the word. May we do whatever is necessary coming out of what we have heard this morning that we would, in our lives, respond to the glorious salvation you've given us by being holy toward you, loving the brethren, and craving the word. We pray for these things not as an end in in themselves, but so that they would exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, whom though we have not seen him, we love him. We love him, and we rejoice at times with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. So we pray in his matchless name. Amen.